Rocking chair, chair sessions. sessions. With Elisa Di Batista, Maria Teresa Barber. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another RCS Rocking Chair Session, Volume 146, with artist Yanira Collado. Thank you, Yanira, for sitting with us. Oh, no, thank you for inviting me to share all my practice and my experience. And thank you for the work that you do here in Miami for the art community. Thanks so oh much, Yanira. And awesome job, Elisa. Awesome job. Um, okay, thank you for rescheduling us. You, you had a class. Do you want to talk a little bit about that so you could just jump in? Oh, yeah, I teach for Art for Learning, which is awesome. a wonderful organization that it truly is pair it really is i i can't i am so overwhelmed with gratitude for what they do for artists and for the communities that they serve uh, the community of children and even adults yeah i am so lucky to have been working with them for i believe about almost 10 years now and yeah I am very, very grateful to them. I It has allowed me to constantly rethink and renew how artists and art and culture really serve community. And mm-hmm. it allows me to rethink my my objectives and my and the way I manipulate materials, even something as basic as that. Yeah, I think it's always um, refreshing through the eyes of a child, um, how things are new. And sometimes people say, do not reinvent the wheel. But I say, if we didn't reinvent the wheel, we wouldn't reach where we are now. So I think it's always um, exciting to see things anew or once again, from from that perspective. Yeah, it is. I, go ahead. I was wondering about uh, Arts for Learning as well, since, um, you know, you're not able to give regular classes at the moment. Are you already teaching virtually or how is Arts for Learning handling the situation with the quarantine at the moment? They're being very, very generous with their artists, as they usually are. I am teaching one class. We're finishing out the, the semester or the um, the residency with mm-hmm. the teenagers that I teach. So we can teach oh, them awesome. on Zoom. But the little kids, the first graders and the kindergartners that I was teaching at the barnyard in Coconut Grove, which is another wonderful cultural art house for uh, youth and that community in that community there, they, we, we, we can't reach them through Zoom, not necessarily, maybe some of them. So what what they're doing is in order to fulfill our contract, they are having us do a series of 15-minute, 20-minute how-to videos uh, oh, in the arts. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I am very grateful. I know that there are a lot of people, a lot of teaching artists losing their jobs, and yeah. they, they have conjured up this way of us being able to fulfill our contracts and them and they and them filling fulfilling their part of the contract too. So I'm I'm really grateful. That's truly yeah, amazing okay. because I feel like um especially now in this time and Elisa knows this too as a teacher, you know, teachers and, and kids they need support too. You know, they also need some some input or something to do and some guidance. And I think it's so important that Teaching artists now are also supportive of of the parents or of the teachers, you know, and help um, get everyone through this. And I think it's it's not a good idea that a lot of museums are doing right now. And, you know, that they are like MoMA got rid of their whole education department. Right. And I think I think it's really especially in this time, I think, um, you know, um, Teaching artists are so necessary for for the children to have an outlet, right? 
But I think it's wonderful that you can continue with your teen, with your teen, teenager class, right, on Zoom. How has that been going so far? Is How is the technology serving you? I found it to be just fine. The, if I thought about it beforehand, of course, that thought would eat my you know, eat, eat my ambitions, let, ambitions, let's say, because I could project all the things that could go wrong. Yeah. But I started and it was fine because the, te- te- you know, the teenagers I was working with are familiar, much more familiar uh, with the technology and also expressing themselves and taking information through this technology. So, yeah, and they're using it for they were, themselves probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They were very receptive. Probably teaching you. <laughs> I think they're sometimes too. yes because yeah. I couldn't get something loaded so they helped me they guided me through that and it was it, what the exercises that I was giving them it, it was something familiar to them anyway because before the uh, pandemic I was teaching them through their phone certain things through their phone like I would have them go out and I'd say okay you have 15 minutes to take pictures of something that you think describes um, something in the elements of design or the principles of design. And so they would go on and take seven pictures that would describe that. So mm-hmm. that, because I was already doing that before, when it we had, had to switch over yeah. to Zoom, they were just like, okay, we'll do this again, Miss Y. They call me Miss Y. Um, we'll oh. do this again. And then it was great because they, you know, they emailed me these things. We could upload them and look at them together and critique and talk about composition. Um, so I, I was surprised at how at ease they were and uh, how, yeah, yeah. And, but you know, the problem was me thinking about all the things that could go wrong, but it was fine. It was, um, and it was lovely to see them again. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were really, really happy to see you too. Yeah. You mentioned, um, working with arts for learning. Yeah, that's no. what I that's what I imagine. I mean, the kids get bored too. I mean, there's only so many hours you can play video games or be on TikTok or you know, at some point you, you 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 want some you want some school or you want some art classes at least, right? So, that's wonderful that you can continue to do that and big shout out to Arts for Learning for for making that happen and being flexible, you know, and working with their artists to get through this as well. That's, that's really wonderful to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for the work they're continuing to do and all the work that they have done in the past. I, I can't. And you um, mentioned you worked with them for 10 years. Can you, cause I know they yeah. started here, was it three years ago? Can you take us back to when you first encountered Arch for Learning? When I first encountered, it was through a friend of mine who was a performer, and I was teaching, I believe I was teaching for VSA a little bit here and there. Oh, and I was teaching, I'd always been a teaching artist, but I'd been teaching movement more than anything else. And I was teaching, um, I was teaching movement through uh, another organization that I'm now a, bo- uh, a board member of called the shimmy oh, club and we were working shimmy with club. i'm sorry go ahead i couldn't hear you no i repeated the shimmy club oh yeah the shimmy club where we take folk dances and social dances and teach them to adolescents uh who at that time they were children mostly children who were visually impaired or had a disability or some sort of different ability and I believe I worked for them for about seven years. And wow. so then I, through my, through my friend, Vanessa, I transitioned to Arts for Learning and I fell in love with their mission and, and what drove them and how much, not only did they invest in the communities, but they invested in their artists as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, Thank I had a, I had a really I had a really positive experience as well. I was working that was actually we talked about it, remember? Um when in at the when you had the museum show at the Frost Museum, I I saw you and we talked about it and I was teaching for a semester in the Charles Drew Elementary School in after school program. 
And it was really, yeah. it was really a wonderful experience. For me, it was uh, on top of my museum job. It was after a semester, I was like, oh, I, I think I need, I need to take a break. You know, to do both was like a little much for me, but I really, really loved how even the team, you know, it's a great team and, and the way that they are handling everything and just the, their support. It was really, really beautiful. But uh, moving more towards your art practice as well, since we are we're yes. talking about the Frost Museum. I remember very, very clearly uh, when you had the show there, you, it was a group show and it was called, I, I don't remember the name. Was it Amy Galprin already who was curating it or was it the one before? You had this huge piece. It was a drywall. It was at an angle and it was like incredible. It was so, so, so beautiful. And uh, I think it was the first time. No, it was. I think I saw it before in the Mocha show. I think I saw your work as well. But um, can you tell us a little bit more about this? This really, really large drywall piece that you had in the Frost Art Museum. Well, thank you, by the way, for the compliment. And yeah, Amy Galpin. That was, I believe, that was the first show she curated there. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I was not sure if it was her, but it, it was her first show. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the show was called Deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And it was all um, meditations on this idea of the composed, the destructed. And when she, when Amy came to visit me at my studio, I, I asked her, you know, who sent you? Because it seemed like she was speaking my my language, mm -hmm. <laughs> like she knew me without knowing me, because most of my work is based on this idea of fragmentation and these fragmented histories coming together, com being recomposed continually. Mm -hmm. And so the, the large piece that you were talking about that leans up against the wall is, a, is based on a quilt, a, and the quilt has be, been refragmented and then composed together again and refragmented and composed back together again. And I'm looking at where I source the materials and doing a, an investigation of that history. But it's also, that piece also included the, that portal piece, that uh, box piece mm -hmm. uh, shape that was made out of soap of Cuabaso from the Dominican Republic. Yes, yes. I, yeah, yeah. So those, those two pieces, usually when I make one of those large pieces that lean against the wall, there's another piece, an additional piece that speaks more to things uh, becoming more whole. So the wall pieces are usually about fragmentation and the floor pieces are usually something that has become whole or is more in the process of being whole. And the quava, uh, the soap, the soap piece is a portal that in the Dominican Republic, we use that soap to launder for the laundry, but mm -hmm. we also use it in spiritual practices and to deflect curses. And we use it in, in many other ways. So that is to kind of cure, spiritually cure what's been fragmented. Mm -hmm. What is what was really stunning to me, too, is like that, you know, the different feel of the material, like the pairing of this. What I, I'm, I'm surprised that you say quilt, because for, for me, it looked very like rough, the wall piece. You know, it looked kind of like a, um, a more like a how do you say that? A coarse like a texture. And then the, the soap was like very smooth and. The color is almost like honey, right? Like very inviting and very like, um, like soft, right? Can you describe the the um, duality a little bit more between those materials that you're using, also? Yeah, the wall piece. I have a very physical way to approach everything, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of physicality. So there's always this what you would describe as rough or layered uh, application to my work. Mm -hmm. I'm, I've always been a very physical learner and I teach very physically. I, I just think that when it's in your body, it's in your brain. Mm 
-hmm. And also the way that I learn what I want to say is through a certain physicality. I also um, stopped dancing for about, sorry, started uh, dancing for about 10 years and stopped painting for about 10 years of my life. And so that really influenced that physicality as well, which is why I was teaching movement in the shimmy club. And so that, that's, you're always going to see that with my work, just a little, I'm engaged a little bit with movement or physicality or layering or, or things that, that aren't flat. And so, yes, the pieces that are on the floor tend to be smooth. They tend to be softer because it's to indicate that that process of being built has stopped or is coming to a stop. I also, I love materials of construction. I work with drywall, wood, textiles. To me, textiles are materials of construction. I was influence. Yeah, I've seen cement, stone, reclaimed cardboard, house paint, all kinds of things. Very curious about that. When did you fall yeah. in love with those kind of materials? I think when I was born because I was <laughs> I was basically raised in a sweatshop, a um a sewing sweatshop. My mother worked in underground sweatshops here in Miami mm-hmm. and uh, also ran one for for a while so the the idea of things coming together pieces coming together being sewn together was always in front of me layers and layers of textiles the smell of the oil of the machine oil and my father was a pattern cutter and a pattern maker but he was he also worked in construction along with my other uncle and in my family everybody raised you, not just your mother and your father. So I was exposed to a lot of construction. There was always a lot of dirt, a lot of cement in my house, along with this material that this textile that was being constructed. So that that it's it was almost like I was born into the language I was meant to use later on to express ideas and histories. And had all the elements. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was a very lucky kid. <laughs> I do see it that way. You know, I, I was a very lucky kid. I, I was always engaged with textiles and, and construction materials. And those are the first that things that I would draw with. Tools. Yeah. My, yeah. Yeah. They, they hesitated to teach me. I always wanted mm-hmm. to learn and I kept bothering them. And so <laughs> what they did is they, <laughs> yeah, my mother, well, see, my mother had this idea that her work meant uh, or meant that um, this is this is the work she had to do because she was an immigrant. That was the way mm-hmm. she identified it with it. And I always thought, my God, you're creating these beautiful sculptures. So she didn't want that for me. And my, neither did my father, because that's what he thought, too. And I just thought, my God, you guys are artists and you're creating and you're making these beautiful things. They see it differently now. Of course, mm-hmm. but but that's that I just I was always so in love with these things that they were creating. So they taught me, but they never fully taught me. So and I love that too because it was always kind of like I was creating these things with just enough knowledge or just enough um, experience with the tools to also not make it not. Not whatever I was creating was not dirty. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And so that I, I learned a lot from that. I learned the, the vulnerability of creation. Of there's always I think some vulnerability in my work. For example, the the wall piece. So it's big. It's very fragile. Nothing is really really bonded together, and nothing. It, those pieces come apart quite easily and very precarious the fact that it leans yeah the fact that it leans also speaks to the vulnerability of homes because I, I it it's also my way of always bringing up or invoking hurricane andrew uh we lived in home in homestead uh in 1992 oh, no. when hurricane yeah oh so, my goodness well Yes, it was a, it was, yeah, 
it was something that um, everybody in Miami experienced. But the imagery have, has always stuck in my mind. And so I, I use that lens a lot, this idea of loss or, or displacement, which also serves with, to that idea of in fragmentation and things trying to become whole again. Because I also saw that part. I saw people reconstructing their homes again. Their recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Recovering. Yeah, what what I thought of when you were talking about the wall piece was also it does create this shelter, right? Because it's like this this element leaning against the wall, so it creates a shelter, but it's also like precarious enough or like fragile enough that you could imagine if you would lie underneath it, it could also collapse over you. So it's kind of like this. Um, it has like both both ideas or both emotions of like finding. Um, finding a home, but then also like, in a way, also like being in danger, right? So that, that's kind of like this image came up when you were talking about it. Yeah, exactly. There's always the the fact that it's so big can elude or create this idea of a big structure. But when you really look at it, there's a vulnerability to it, a fragility. So, Yanira, I wanted to ask you about your usage of materials and how you select them. Because you mentioned as a painting, um, kind of like a background that you had for 10 years of dancing. I know I've witnessed Maria in her studio, and she's very um, physical and visceral with the way that she kind of like expresses with her material. So I was curious as to what materials you select um, more frequently and also if each project um, determines what material you want to use. Usually, I source materials that have some sort of, evoke some sort of interest or or memory in in me. For example, I I love materials that have or allude to the diaspora, the African diaspora, and also Mm -hmm. to Middle Eastern patterns and I love investigating the the trajectory for example how that history can be lost like you could buy a scarf today and not know not not know that the pixie symbol for example where it comes from that you may think is English but it's not and so usually when I see something and and I and I want to talk to its history and it doesn't just, it doesn't have to be that kind of history it could be also who wore you what what community did you come from so if if i'm for example doing what i did in in uh houston at the yeah. row houses uh i i love being there by the way that that's another i i can't say enough for project row houses i uh, I love their mission. I, I, I think that um, I would hope that everybody does some investigating on their mission and who they are and what they do and how they really serve the community and how the arts are really impacting the community there. This but is in a case, residency, so, right? The, the row houses. Yes, it was a, it, it was a residency mm-hmm. and we each, each artist was, uh, invited to do a project or an intervention in a pro in, in a row house. So wow. that year, I believe it was it was ah, it was Charo. That's right. It was Charo. Mm-hmm. It was Ona Judith okay. Shabaka. Mm-hmm. It was Juana Valdez and Aramis. Um, Aramis, I do I forgot his last name. O'Reilly. That new world. O'Reilly. O'Reilly. Yes. O'Reilly. Yeah. 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 O'Reilly. And so. We each took a house over. Wow. Yeah. We each took a house over. We had two weeks. I only had a week because I do teach. So (laughs) I work day and night. And so so, so did Juana. Yeah, that's that's right. We we were exhausted afterward. Uh, But so there, for example, I decided that I wanted to work with materials in that community 
and textiles in that community, mm-hmm. stones, bricks, debris. So I, what I did is I constructed my, my sculptures and my interventions with materials that I found two miles north, south, east, and west in, in that community. Wow. And, I could, and everything that I constructed were, was sourced from the ground. So that included textiles, that random textiles that I would find, receipts, uh, a lot, a lot of bricks, beautiful bricks, cement pieces. So just I don't term, only yeah. just look at history from, from origin, like pattern origin, but I also look at um, place. It has to do with both. I think it, it, it kind of has to trigger something within you from what I'm understanding. You have to connect to it somehow or it has to impact you to be curious enough to delve deeper and figure out more about its histories. Like this project specifically at the row houses, you were, you were curious about the vicinity. You went out and you researched and these materials spoke to you. And then when you mentioned the pattern, for example, the scarf, that spoke to you. So it has to, it's not just any random material you're using. It has to somehow connect to you or you feel connected to it. Exactly. I can't, mm-hmm. it, it would, it would be useless for me to just take any material Oil and create something, something with yeah. it because, yeah, because it doesn't drive me. Yeah. It doesn't drive me. Another material mm. that I saw you using were uh, books. I saw that when you, when you did the PAM local views, I think you were one of the first artists who did that and they showed artworks that were, um, a, a, a written like a b- book page, right? And you had, uh, you know, not like you would usually use whiteout, but you used fabric to kind of cover some writings. Yeah, those are uh, what I call them uh, um, quilt drawings because they're so small. Uh, you're, you're speaking about the ones that um, there, there are two book pages. Yes, like an open book. It looks like an open book, but then there is fabric where the text, some of the text is, right? Yeah, yeah. That is actually a teen, uh, yeah, um, a teenage mystery book uh, that I, I still, I still do those pieces. Um, Nancy Drew. There we go. Got Nancy. it. Thank you. Uh-huh. Nancy, Nancy Drew. Drew. Yeah. I'm so, so good. Sorry. The Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys was the yes. clue. You remembered it now. Yeah. 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 I'm so sorry. I had to dig a little bit. Uh, Nancy. So those are all Nancy Drew books. Those are all uh, teenage Nancy Drew books. And a lot of that is, again, about rewriting history or veiling history, protecting history. It's kind of my way of always protecting Nancy Drew. It, she seemed uh, someone who was left alone a lot, uh, yeah. and and she was We're always in danger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And totally. her father just never seemed to be around. And her mother, uh, her mother passed away. And so those are my interventions, my my way of protecting her, creating a quilt that protects her, and just revealing here and there certain words to indicate where she might be or certain certain places or certain needs of hers. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also my way of rewriting her story because I, I remember reading those as a kid and I was really influenced by them. And I was always really concerned about her abandonment, the fact that she was abandoned. But she, she was also always investigating in a way, um, which is kind of like what you do through, through the material and the subjects that you explore as well. So I could see the, the connection between you and Nancy in a way also of, of always curious with like digging deeper, trying to find out more, um, just being told something wasn't enough. You had to, you know, like just keep on searching and, and pushing forward. But yeah, you're right. Looking back, yeah, Nancy was always left by herself a lot. Um, Luckily, that wasn't the case with you. You mentioned your family was always, you know, very um, helpful and supportive with like materials and teaching you how to do things. But in readdressing and looking at Nancy, do you feel that when you work on other pieces, it's it's kind of that same 
um, concern or, or also, um, like love and involvement that you kind of look with at, at your other subjects that you're trying to, in one way, showcase them, but also give them the attention and the protection that they deserve? I, I work hard to protect certain histories. So that's why a lot of my work has veils or layers and layers, or I'll show you a piece of a symbol or and I'll, I'll work to hide the rest of it. It's about protecting that history since a lot of the history is um, distorted or the trajectory of it has been changed or the, the idea or the notion of where it's actually sourced has been changed. I, I work to protect it, not just expose it, but protect it. So in Nancy, with the Nancy Drew books, I'm, I'm, uh, trying to protect her in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's also because I've worked, I've, I've worked with many children and sometimes I've run into situations where I feel I, I, I want to protect that person, that young yeah. person from life, from just the situations that they're living. So the, I was uh, in, in situations when I was doing those and I still do them. I was in situations where, where I was working with a lot of kids who I just, you know, I just wanted to help. I just wanted to protect. And that was my, my intervention, my way of doing that. They're, they're incredibly delicate and very, very intimate, you know, like compared to your very, very large key, large pieces where you, you would not, you would not think that they are delicate, you know. But now that that I I know more about them, I see the the connection there. But it's almost like you lay down like these little, you know, like a little blanket that you would put over a kid that is like going to sleep or that needs like some comfort, right? It's like in this book, there are like these little moments of like they're like tenderness, you know, like they're delicate moments where you're like protecting i i i thought they were incredibly poetic and very very beautiful also because the textiles that you were using they also have like specific patterns or colors they're also like um you know very carefully chosen yeah thank you yeah that's exactly what i was trying to do i was trying to create quilts that would protect this story these Mm -hmm. words her, her experience. And, and, and yes, she was always investigating and she seemed to be very fearless. But my experience when I was reading these as a kid was like, why isn't your dad there? Why are you allowed to go out at 2 a.m. in the morning and, you know, almost get yourself arrested? So, yeah, I, I, I was always concerned for her. Looking at your palette, Yanira. Oh, she always seems to be alone. Yeah, totally. I wanted to ask about your, your color palette for your artwork. I see a lot of like neutrals, like beiges, blacks, browns, whites, grays. Do you feel that you're more attracted to these as they, I feel sometimes relate to memory? Because sometimes I do feel that when you're trying to at- like attain these things from the past, they are kind of like yellowish or grisol feels like a little bit like more grayish versus like really potent and powerful and, and colorful. Mm. Yeah, I think that's my effort. It's a formal effort to balance out the lusciousness in in the in the textiles. Textiles mm-hmm. um, have a lot of color. There, it's so easy to be seduced visually by the 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 texture, by the colors, by by the patterns. And so I try to contrast that with something that's more muted or ground a little bit more so that what you are hopefully really looking at is the 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 source of the source of the material and not just Mm -hmm. in awe of the material i i enjoy that challenge in in my work and i fight against myself and it a lot Textiles are so easy in a way to engage with because they're beautiful. They're just gorgeous. And I, one of the things I, I love challenging myself with is, well, how do I not necessarily neutralize that beauty, but how do I get to the source of where, what I want to say 
without just overwhelming you with the ah, with the beauty of the of the textile. With with because we all love, we all wear textiles. We are, you know we fashion. Yeah. We're all influenced by the the, the lusciousness of it. So um, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons I do that is to kind of neutralize that ah in the in the textile. Plus, most of the materials of construction are very blah colored. You know, um, drywall is white, cement is gray, yeah. pine wood has that off yellow look. So that's also just More a muted. consequence mm-hmm. of yeah. Definitely. And when you pair no, them together. No. Yeah, Go ahead. definitely. I was thinking about the fibers in terms of how um, sometimes when you look at just the color or it's just a, a pattern, as you mentioned, you don't always tend to look closer, which is like the fibers and the, the weaving, as Maria Teresa would say, um, are sometimes quite particular to that singular piece and unique in that not one weaving is the same. And I think that in making the color slightly more neutral, people could look at the connection between the fibers and the materials that you're using and how they might correlate and and also like you say not be distracted just by the the color or the beauty yeah i could see that as well mm-hmm. it it definitely sets yeah. a different tone you know it it is like a different tone if you have like this like very miami bright colors i could not imagine like your your especially your leaning piece in in like these really bright colors that would completely change everything right so i i don't know it's like earth i was like thinking about these tones like earth tones but it's also like like i I like what you said elisa about the memories almost like a little bit like black and white or like whitewashed a little bit in this like you or would, that yellowish like, kind of step, yeah, yeah. But like mm-hmm. how you would paint the house white, or you know, kind of like this um, construct, uh, also construction, the tones of construction. But I do, I do want to ask you about this time of transitioning from like, uh, like I understood you were painting, and then you transitioned into dancing for ten years, and then transitioned out of it. Um, Especially yes. because yeah. I, I I have experienced that myself as well. And I'm not a dancer, but I I did an art therapy program as well. I know you did that. You did you studied art therapy as well. And that was movement based. And so I, I did more movement work for a while and then moved out of it again or like, you know, at least of the live performance component of it. How was that for you? And why do you think those transitions happened? For me, it was a matter of wanting to get out of my head and into my body. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that that's what I was doing. It was something subconscious. I wanted to create. I still wanted to create. But I had too many ideas, too many. I, I, you know, I, I was an art school baby. I went to New School <laughs> of the Art High School. And I I had been fooled a lot. And I am so grateful for that experience. I'm not throwing that away at all. But there is something to be said about then not having that in your head for a long period of time and and being influenced by other arts. Because there is, I have to say, there is something about studying movement and folk dances that for me has really changed why I make work and why I put it out there more than anything, why I put it out. Right. I, I want to know how my work can serve people and that I always think about that. What's, you know, when I put something out there, cause I don't necessarily have to put everything out that I make, right. Some things can be really uh, selfish for me, but when I do decide to put something into the world, into the gallery or uh, into a museum, I think, how can that serve people? And that's because I have seen how movement serves communities, how it brings communities together, how it can inform people, how it can create bridges. And so I, I would love, always want that for my visual work as well now. And thinking on that, meditating on that really brought me back to working in the visual work. 
I, um, I, I think about how does that serve somebody else? Not necessarily what is my voice. Yeah, almost so like I, I am. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's almost like you're saying it, like bringing the focus back from, you know, this. I don't know. There's like this vision of an artist that it's kind of like it's it's always all about the artist and like you know it's kind of like this inner spiral almost of you know making art and then developing it, but it's not reaching out right. And what you're describing is that you're really considering now also this reaching Mm -hmm. out right like the community like what is what is your impact also on on the other the visitor the viewer the community right exactly yeah i it's really influenced not just the way i make work because of course yeah that added physicality to my work and creating a visual movement but also music and dance are those two or let's say social dancing are those two forms of cultural practices that really, really touch a lot of people. Right. Whereas, you know, my work at the frost might only affect the people that go see it. And Mm -hmm. so it having that experience of 10 years of movement and seeing how it, it can touch many more people than a piece of work in, in a gallery has really changed my motives and, and changed my ideas of why and what I put out into the world. And I, I am forever grateful for that experience. I, 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 I didn't miss making work for those 10 years because I, I felt I was still engaging Creative. in cultural mm-hmm. practice. Yeah. You're still expecting I really it when I came back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess the next question would be like, well, why did you come back? It was a it was an easy transition. I I one day started picking up materials again and and manipulating them. And I also started to do some performative work. And I found that the performative work always needed some element of something I constructed. And then before you know it, there was more construction than performance. <laughs> it's it's interesting <laughs> and, how, how, you know, in the life of an artist, things shift around and they come and go and you just have to embrace it in a way too, right? You can't really control that part where your practice is going to take you. It's like, you just have to always be committed to jump into the next thing in a way when it opens up. So um, I thought that it was, that was really beautiful how you described that journey. Um, So we have um, five minutes left, Elisa. And uh, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, Yanira was, uh, I saw that you have an exhibition lined up at dimensions variable right and that was supposed to happen in may do you want to talk about that a little bit well we are not quite sure when that's going to open up but i love francis and Leighton so much they both have committed to the show when it is possible to open and yeah you know i i i uh, I my experience so far in the art community here has with with this pandemic. I uh, I am so grateful to so many organizations coming out to support artists and the commitment that many of the organizations that I've I, this is my experience just my experience that I've that I've been working with the commitment that they have to their artists. I I'm overwhelmed by by their commitment and um I'm so grateful. Uh so so we we will see when when we can open that show and I am I'm I'm happy to have have that. I have that opportunity to opportunity to again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, show my work. But until then, I am also 
living in the present moment. And I am taking this opportunity of not being able to leave my studio or, or my, my home, really, because I can't go to Oolite because um, it's closed down. I'm taking this opportunity to create and to build and to do research. And I, yeah, I, I, I actually do love the fact that nobody's interrupting me <laughs> and I could just create. Yeah, more privacy. Yeah. Yeah. The last question I have before Maria has her final question is, um, I noticed a thread with the titles in your work. I'm always curious as to why artists name things a certain way. And a lot of your mm -hmm. titles are in Spanish. So I wanted to talk to you about mm -hmm. the importance of your titles and then being in, you know, the mother tongue. Okay. That's great. I, especially the, going back to the Nancy Drew ones, those are in Spanish and the writing is in English. So that speaks directly to my experience growing up in the United States, speaking both languages and mm -hmm. being very confused and conflicted and then coming to a point in my life where, of course, as an adult, I'm no longer confused about that. Um, so, but it is something that I live. I live both in Spanish and in English. So I tell a story in both languages in my head. And uh, sometimes that comes out uh, in both languages as well, which is something common here in Miami. Uh, and I'm, yeah. and uh, I'm really happy that I can express myself in both languages here because it tells my full story. So, so with the Nancy Drew pieces, that's, that's something very, very deliberate. And with my other pieces as well, for example, the, the piece that I had in Emerson Dorsch, or one of them, the, one of the wall pieces was mm -hmm. called um, Tu Mandolinas. And the mm -hmm. floor piece, which, you know, always serves to, um, to ground the idea of the wall piece is called Echagüe. Echagüe mm -hmm. was a singer, an Argentine tango singer. Uh, and mm -hmm. he spoke in the in in Lufardo, which is a, a a slang language, which was developed so that the police would not understand what people were saying, so you would not be arrested. So I named that piece on the floor Echagüe because the piece on the wall, Tumandolinas, is a is composed of of quilts that uh, allude to the Underground Railroad quilts used to indicate to um, people escaping slavery where to, where to go. Going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, two coded languages. It's still in conversation. Mm -hmm. All right, we're already at Thank the end you. of our interview today, but we have one more question, and that's our special rocking chair sessions question. And you might not know, but you have been actually sitting on an imaginary rocking chair at the moment, and it grants you three wishes. You can wish for anything and everything, but you have to say them out loud for them to come true. These are the rules of the rocking chair. So what are your three wishes? That everybody comes through this uh, pandemic safe, safely. I've, mm -hmm. I've actually lost a, a friend through the pandemic. So, so yeah, that everybody comes through this safely. That I know this is cheesy, but I, that, that we're kinder to each other and that we hear each other more than we talk at each other. Those are great wishes, yeah. That's a good one. Thank you so much, Yanira. And, uh, thank one more, one more. Um, there were two wishes, Maria. No, those you're, were you're three. away her third wish. Oh, oh, oh really? Oh, wait. The, the, the second one was like a, like a three. But, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, a third one. A third one. Let's see. Wish. You get it. You get an yeah. additional wish, I think, because it's the pandemic. <laughs> Elisa is giving out more wishes. I only heard two. Let's see. 
I, you know, I, 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 well, okay. I wish everybody on this planet good mental health. That's a great wish as well, especially during the pandemic when everyone is going a little crazy because they can't leave the house or do the regular stuff that they're doing. All right. Yeah, Yeah. you know, when you were speaking about the... Mm -hmm. Sorry, go I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. No, when, Maria, when you were speaking about uh, how kids really need us now, need teaching artists more than ever now, I was thinking, I think about that all the time. I think about the mental health of of our children right now. Yes. Yeah. Um, And how important it is also to support the parents in that moment, you know, parents who are in the house with their kids 24 seven, you know, and it's like, uh, I, f- I feel like also the parents need some support in this moment. So it's the kids and the parents. And I think you're doing an amazing job. And again, shout out to Arts for Learning for for being so flexible enough and creative enough and believing in their artists. That's really, that's really tremendous, a tremendous um it shows tremendous strength and it shows um, real character also of the institution. So thank you again for sharing oh, this yeah. with us too. And um, yeah, thank you, Yanira, so much for for everything that um, you shared with us today. And thank you, Elisa. This was our yes, first... Yeah, we look forward. Yeah, this was our first ever uh, Skype phone call uh, session. So if we talked over each for other, sure. it's, it, it was because we didn't see each other. So... Um, bear with us, our dear listeners. We are, as we're working through this virtual world, I have to say sometimes it's also great to just hear the voices, you know, and really focus on, mm. um, on, on just that and somehow tap, you really tap in the dark a little bit on who's talking next, you know, <laughs> that's okay. It's a dance as yeah, well, thank right? Thank you for opening up. Yeah, mm-hmm. opening up about your residencies that you've had. Um, we didn't even get to cover the Joan Mitchell Foundation, yeah. which was huge. And, you know, being that like arts, but um, we will be connecting your website um, information to ours so our listeners could find out more. They could look forward to the Dimensions Variable show that's coming up soon um, at some point. And um, hopefully just keep keep a track and look out for you and what you're doing for the community as well, because it is very important work um, and telling of, of your history and stories and through art making. So we're so grateful that you sat with us today, Anita. Thank you for right. taking the time. Thank you. And bye oh, to our listeners yeah. as well. We're going to be back next week on Monday, probably, if not earlier. Alrighty. Bye. Okay. Bye, Anira. Bye, everyone. Bye.